0: Give me some common sense. Yes,
1: sir. They have the car stopped in 10th and Grant's by Kwiser. We
2: still don't know who pulled the trigger.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Police Off The Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host Bill Cannon and tonight we have an amazing, I'm sorry, <laughs> I am some technical difficulties here. Sorry guys, had a little technical difficulty there. Sorry guys, what we have tonight uh, Edward, Edmund Hartnett, the Yonkers Police Commissioner, who was supposed to be with us tonight, he got stuck in Atlanta, Georgia. His flight couldn't fly in. I, I joked with him, I said that's because he tried to load a trunk filled with cash on the plane and it just it over it overweighted the plane, but he didn't think that was that funny. but uh, Edmund Hartnett, the Yonkers PC former NYPD chief, uh, is stuck in Atlanta. He uh, gives his apologies. He asked me if I would let all his fans and his family know that he's not going to be here. But tonight we have Nassau Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder. Patrick, thank you so much for coming to the show. You've been on the show before. You're one of the police leaders across the nation. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Um, I'm happy to be here, Bill, and anything I can offer to help others out there, I'm willing to do. We know you will. You know, Pat, we've been covering the Uvalde school shooting, and I've all the top law enforcement people have weighed in on it, uh, Bill Bratton, uh, ed Davis from Boston and it it's a it's a response disaster it really is a disaster and there's there's no way you can really defend it I, I mean i it hurts me because it's fellow police officers but you can't defend it and ed davis i think put it best when he said the failure was not in the response it was not in the training the failure was in the leadership and i think he hit it 100% on the head there was no leadership at that. And the leader who was in charge, were well, finding out little drips and drabs of information that turns out to be correct. And at first, of course, they put out the wrong information. we well, finding out that uh, uh, Pete Arredondo, the police chief who was in charge was a police ch- chief of six officers. I mean, why was he in charge at a major incident like this? It just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. And there's other problems. We're hearing about. He didn't have a radio. He's the on scene commander, and he didn't have a radio. How do you go to a, a a scene like this and not have a radio with you? So you don't know what the hell's going on from the outside. Comments, well, Pat. You know, you know, it's it's a um, the
3: worst thing we want to do is Monday morning quarterback other cops. We don't. We're, we're not in that world. We're not in that business, right? We. We support each other. We stand by each other. It was a colossal failure out there. It was it was obviously it cost lives. Um, We you know, as the details get more and more uh, flushed out, we'll, we'll understand more about what happened. But when you go into some of these small police departments around the country and, you know, who they train with, how they train, you know, again, the leadership, you know, where did he get picked from? Is he the guy? out of a six man department, did he come through the ranks of the six men? You know, is he from within or is he from an outside agency and and leadership? It's challenging because when you open your mouth and you say the wrong thing, they wanna kill you, especially in today's society. When you make the wrong decision, they wanna kill you, especially in today's society. Um, You know, unfortunately the, the bigger message here is that a lot of children lost their lives that didn't have to lose their lives. More could have been done. Response could have been done. Uh, the NASA County Police Department, we train, it's it's go, go, go to you not stop the threat, you eliminate the threat. It's gotta end. And many times that ends in violence, and that person is dead. That's a reality that people don't like to talk about. But we train like that. We, you know, people go, oh, shoot him in the leg, shoot him in the head. We shoot set a mass because set a mass stops the threat. Once the threat is done. We then go and take care of our aid. And uh, obviously that training was was not, you know, up to speed. Uh, and maybe they should have trained more. I say this all the time, though, Bill. There needs to be a national standard. And I don't like to have the Fed step into everybody's world. But there needs to be a national standard to some of these responses. I train differently than probably Suffolk trains differently than New York City trains differently. We we all train really good but when you take us and you drop us in the midwest or you drop us in somewhere in the middle of uh you know any one of the the midwest states they probably don't train like that and they don't ever think it's going to happen that's where it's probably going to happen more and you, we have seen that because of the way the training and and the levels of protection that we put in place with our schools and cooperation so again i i don't like the money monday morning quarterback. I have looked at what was said and reported on the news, the wrong stories, then the correct stories. That happens because we're too anxious to, to feed the media. Hey, the media is going to wait till I got it right. You know, they, they want to know what's going on with the investigation. I'll let you know what I can let you know when it, when it helps me, but I'm not going to let you know when it's going to hurt me or hurt my investigation. Same you thing know, you right. know, Commissioner,
0: one of the things Bratton said, uh, and he teaches, you know, communication in crisis is that you have to keep saying that this information we're giving you is preliminary and is subject to change because investigation takes time and we can't give you all of it fast. If you want accurate information, you're going to have to wait. No one wants to wait. So you have to keep adding that addendum in there. This information is always changing and it's subject to change and when it changes, we will update the information, but we can't give you a hundred percent truth right now.
3: Uh, That's a hundred percent right. And you know, if you remember out of Boston, uh, when the commissioner there was speaking, he kept, the word was, it's very fluid right now. It's very fluid right now. Things are changing. You know, it's, it's preliminary information. Let us get all the facts together. We'll give you what we can. And a smart communicator is going to give what he needs, not what he can. If I need you to get this and I need that bad guy to hear it out there. I'm going to say to you, hey, here's what we got so far and give you something that's going to help me. But, you know, many times we cave into that pressure, the political pressure to jump to a, um, a quick answer for the media. Hey, sometimes you're going to have to wait.
0: You know, Commissioner, another thing that you said, and I 1000% agree with it, is training, training, training. And politicians always say that when there's a mistake made. But guess what? They really don't mean it. Because training costs lots of money. And training also takes cops off the road. But a well-trained police department is a police department that's gonna get things right. When they, obviously after the George
3: Floyd and all the unrest that went in this country, defund the police, defund the police. That was not a time to take away funding. That was a time to invest in, in training. If you invest in your police department, you get a better product. We all know, any manager knows, the most uh, expensive thing is training it's equipment. And then when you buy new equipment, you got to train your members, you got to train your members, but you also got to fill your roll calls, which means it's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me overtime. In Nassau County, we find a way to make it work. You know, we work with our unions. Um, You know, there's sometimes we pay and, and there's no way around it. We're going to pay, but we should not take money away and, and take away from training because if you're not training, you're going to get a bad result. And that's what happens many times around the country.
0: You know, commissioner, I wanted to mention another thing that hasn't been brought up enough. I don't think. And one of the things is that after a lot of these police incidents, George Floyd, uh, the Michael Brown incident, um, police departments across the nation were being faulted for being militarized. (laughs) And, um, we all know that police departments are paramilitary organizations. They're modeled after military organizations, so they need to follow that model. And now there's a concept, and there's a concept of warrior cop or guardian cop. And we need both. We know we need both, but not all cops are warriors, and we know that. You know, the community affairs guy, he's not the guy you want with you when you're facing, a, you know, a gang of shooters. You know, or the community policing guy. You want the warriors. And, you know, guardians and warriors, they're two different things. And that's that world of, you know, round peg, round
3: hole. There are great cops that we have that serve a purpose that I don't want to go through the door with. I don't. You know, I don't want to be on the other side of that door when I get in there with that person. I know you trust your partner. You trust the people around you. In an active shooter, you don't get to pick your partner. Right? And that day, it's go. You active shooter, you respond, you throw on your tack vest, your tack helmet, pick up your your breaching your tool, you get into that building, you got your sidearm and you start going to the threat and you don't stop till you get to the threat. Some, As we saw in, in Texas, that didn't happen. And then the decision was to stop because the shooting stopped. But you got kids dying on the other side of the wall. You know, th- that's not, there's no such thing as that we turn into a barricade it's go 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 till you stop that threat. No option, and unfortunately, that didn't happen in in in, uh, in in Texas, but in Buffalo, New York, it did happen. They went after the shooter, you know, and and unfortunately, the the armed guard who was off duty, he lost his life going after the shooter because that's what we're trained to do. I, I tell my cops all the time. I go, look, you you don't get paid. You know, I, I, we get paid for what we do every day. We deliver babies, we handle disputes in families with domestic counselors, we're everything. But when it comes to game day, when it comes to something like this, you can't miss. You can't give them one leg up because if you do, they're gonna take advantage of it. So we were very close with 56 school districts in Nassau County, 450 buildings, 50,000 kids that attend, attend our public schools. That's a lot of people to protect. And we've assessed every building. We've made recommendations. We put rave apps in them. We've given our cops tac vests and tac helmets in their car. They all have a breaching tool, and of course, they all have their sidearm. We have BSO. We have we have our ESU units. They all have long guns. Homeland has long guns. Community Affairs has long guns. It, and it, but it's the first thing they do is say, "Give me an armed guard in front of a school." It, it, it's the first person they're going to shoot is the armed guard. Because the armed guard's not gonna be standing there, not in Nassau County, holding his assault rifle, waiting for someone to come up. That armed guard's gonna be sitting there high-fiving some kids, and the shooter's gonna walk, pop, and then he's in the door. It's really about slowing the shooter down and getting the cop there faster. All the assessments that we, when you talk about this, in 50 years in this country, no one's ever died in a school fire, why? We put the resources and investments into preventing fires and stopping them, and we drilled and we drilled and we drilled how to evacuate in the case of a fire. Now we're doing, finally, active shooter uh, drilling, and we're practicing where to go opposite the door, make sure the doors are locked, school doors, got to keep them locked, uh, controlled access in and out of the building, you know, ID cards. People don't like to have their rights infringed on, but if you want to have your, your rights protected, we have to step on them
4: a little.
0: Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, Commissioner, joining us a little late is uh, Detective Phil Grimaldi. He's usually my co-host. He just uh, sped in from somewhere, but he's here tonight. Welcome, Phil.
2: Thank you. Uh, commissioner, so good to see you. Thank you for coming on. And I apologize for coming on late. I had a, an important uh, situation. My daughter's graduating high school They Had a mass tonight and uh, they did awards and I raised all my God here and uh, just glad to be part of it. And uh, thank you again for commissioner for coming on. I, I had a quick question for you, commissioner. You said that when they did the, the surveys of the schools, did they implement the, uh, the things that you recommended that they do? Did they implement any of them, all of them? Most of them were taken into into consideration.
3: A lot of times it comes down to school budget. So now you got to go back to your your community and say, look, for me to put, you can't put bulletproof glass in buildings. It's just impossible, the the cost. But you can have that entrance booth bulletproof. So the guy inside who's making the calls for help is in a controlled and and safe environment. Uh, Locking of the doors, automatic uh, locking of the doors. God forbid there's an active shooter. Many schools that we went through when we first went through The doors of the classroom did not lock. So we all know there's never been an active shooter that shoots the lock off the door and then goes into the room. That that doesn't happen, only on TV. If they check the door and it's locked, they keep going till they find a classroom that's open and they go and they they do the kill. Um, If you have locking doors and the kids go the opposite end of the corner of the building where they know they're out of sight, nobody can look in and see you, that's the safest way to handle it. A lot of schools that we had, we have them number the windows. In, in in Dallas, the one girl kept uh, Dallas, excuse me, in Texas, the one girl kept calling out for help. I'm in and they go, Where are you? Call out. When she called out, she got shot. And because she gave the you're giving the bad guy the heads up now. If she all she had to do was tell us what window number, I'm at window twenty-three. And we know what twenty-three is on the back end of the building. We go to twenty-three, we go in and we 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 make our rescue.
0: You know, um, Commissioner, isn't it also important to have uh, the students and the teachers as part of your security plan that they know what you're going to do so that they can help you to accomplish your mission rather than to work against you. Cause it helps when everyone is involved in the security plan of the school.
3: We, we get, a, we get great. We have 56 superintendents out here. Great cooperation with them. They, we do drilling with the schools. We will go and Okay. We're going to exercise the drill. We're going to push what we have out here in Nassau County called the rave app. Push the rave app. The immediate response of police is coming. Active shooter in place. They come over the loudspeaker, active shooter, active shooter, and everybody plays their role exactly the way they're supposed to. You practice how you play. You know, it's just like the athletes, you know. You're going to hit that fastball when it comes in because you swing 50 times before
0: the game practicing. You know, it's muscle memory. Me. It's muscle memory, as they That's say, right. right? Yep, muscle man. practice.
3: Commissioner,
2: you- when I when I was in the police academy, my uh training in the police academy uh definitely kicked in. I was involved in a shootout about a month out of the police academy. And it was all, I mean, listen, a little bit of street tactics that I learned growing up, but it was really my training that you know, that instinctive training to shoot. I didn't unload my gun. I fired two I, uh, two or three, then I fired one. You know, all the training just kicked in. And the second time around, I was another shooter at 86, and same thing from going to the range and all the in service trainings. Uh, we were, you know, we were still carrying thirty-eights at that time and the both perpetrators had nine millimeters. Well, well nine millimeter and a 45, they both had automatics, but I counted my rounds. You know, you try to, uh, do what you train. So I, I think that that's really, maybe the fire drills is what saved all the lives in the past in the schools, but the active shooter training probably can save lives as well. Uh, had it, you know, been implemented sooner and it's taken more seriously and maybe the drills should be done more often.
3: Uh, it's a hundred percent. I think at the, the numbers that I used to hear was 10, they did five, 10 fire drills a year. Now we're doing five fire drills and five lockout lockdown drills, which is excellent. I remember the days in the city, you know, you, the, with the drop-down pouch, it was load two, look up, load two, look up.
5: Right. Then when
3: we went to the automatics after Scott Cadell got killed. It was when you, when you're firing, you get the stove piping, tap rack bang, tap rack bang. People go what is that i go that's the habit we used to be taught to, to, to clear it to get right. back to the next round it's you do it over and over and over active shooter lock the door go to the corner of the room remain quiet do not open the door to anybody until you know for sure it's the police
0: i'm going to I'm, I'm gonna play a little bit of this um this is showing that uh, the guy the commander on the scene in fact did not have a radio they're getting the kids out.
5: Newly released video shows the scene outside Rob Elementary last Tuesday, officers racing towards the school, children running for their lives. But as children trapped inside classrooms 111 and 112, terrorized by the shooter, called 911, begging to be saved, the incident commander, school police chief Pira Redondo, had 19 officers waiting in a hallway.
3: Well, we need to know what law
1: enforcement was doing, what radio procedures were followed.
5: State Senator Roland Gutierrez says Arredondo wasn't told what 911 operators and Uvalde police knew that there were kids alive in that room with the shooter.
3: State authority does not know who Uvalde police was communicating the 911
5: calls to. The chief's decision not to engage the shooter goes against the state's active shooter response training, which school district officers went through in March, It states that officers immediately move into action to isolate, distract, or neutralize the threat. Federico Torres' son, 10-year-old Rogelio Torres, was inside classroom 111, where those 911 calls were coming from.
3: He was a smart boy.
5: Torres crosses the border from Mexico every day to work the fields around Uvalde. He's back at work even as he mourns the deepest of losses. The questions flooding his mind are far too much to bear. What was your reaction when you learned that it took police 75 minutes to get into that room? It
3: was uh, it was hard. Why did they do nothing? They didn't even went inside.
5: Investigators haven't hinted at a motive. We can confirm, though, that the grandmother of the shooter, the first person he shot that day, worked for the school district until 2020, including as a teacher's aide in this elementary school.
0: That's tough to watch. It's tough to defend. Um, We all know as uh, police officers that the rules changed after Columbine. Uh, Columbine, you know, Klebold and Harris, they had just were shooting people and I think one of the reasons the uh, Colorado Emergency Service didn't go in then was because they were afraid that there were bombs planted all along uh, the corridors of of the classrooms as they had indicated, I think, online. But after Columbine, all procedures were active shooters. You address the threat. You go after the threat. You stop the threat till he's neutralized. And this is embarrassing, I think, you know.
3: It, it, it's tough to watch that video. In our training, the cop on the scene, he's the boss right now. You're in charge. Go. Next, you got two with you? Go. You got three? Go. We're not waiting for a sergeant. We're not waiting for a lieutenant. And we're not speaking to that sergeant lieutenant to get direction. It's go. You've got, you know, those indigenous type leaders are ones that save lives. Send them in. Go do what you got to do. Stop the threat. And then we'll deal with everything afterwards. And unfortunately, they were waiting on on a leader that didn't even have a radio. That's
2: pretty bad. You know, another point I want to make, it seems like there was just such a breakdown in communication throughout the whole thing. It seemed like it was total chaos. And then we get in the dribs and dribs of information, all the information given out basically on the first day was all wrong. Then now we're finding out as late as uh, two days ago on Tuesday they're saying that the, the teacher didn't leave the door open, that she pulled it closed. It didn't lock. I mean, they're, 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 there's so many things changing. It sounded like there was total chaos there. I mean, you had people come into the scene and breaching the school and getting children out, uh, civilians, uh, off-duty police officers. It was a complete, uh, you know, a complete, total chaos. I don't think anybody had control of the situation from the beginning and him not having a radio, I mean, that's just beyond the belief that, that that could be the situation. I mean, you know, communication was probably very, very important. The fact that you had someone inside the school in the classroom communicating with 911 and that communication wasn't making it to the offices. I mean, they could have given direction or got, gotten a scene of what was going on inside the classroom. I mean, obviously- If the officers would have breached the door with, uh, you know, with gunfire, uh, students could have been hit. But if they said, is there anybody by the door? No, just the shooters by the door. Maybe that would have been the signal or the time to, you know, to hit the door. It just seems like a total failure breakdown. The the way that they uh, communicated all the details is ridiculous. Uh, Changing every day. I I don't even know if we still till this minute have the truth. I think details are going to be changing, you know. God knows how much uh, going into the future, but it just seems like a terrible thing. And, uh, you know, we, we have in the bigger cities like the NYPD, we have the emergency service unit is usually not far away. And like you said, Commissioner, the first guys on the scene should be the ones that listen, let's get to the threat. Uh, if you have two, three, four offices, you got to make that move into the classroom or whatever it is and uh, seconds are going to be lives. We know that in these type of shootings, seconds are going to mean lives. So uh, it's clear. It, it seemed like it was clear before this, but unfortunately in this situation, it was a total breakdown. It was, a, yeah. it was a, a many, many errors that took place. You know, Bill, Bill said
3: earlier when he said um, we are a paramil- paramilitary organization and we all we follow, we follow instructions, right? He gave an order to stand down. You know, I feel bad for the cops that were there that, you know, what was their feelings, but they're not going to, you know, the order at the time is the order and you're living by the order. Unfortunately, it was the wrong order.
0: You know, but commissioner, I had questioned that too. It also, because as a young cop, you're taught that you only have to obey lawful orders. I would also challenge that that off that order was not lawful anymore. Once I heard kids screaming and getting shot inside there, I would, I I would say that it's no longer a lawful order because it's going against Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness there, and uh, I can disobey that order. I believe, and I've had, I've said it before, and many people in the chat, military types, oh, you cannot disobey that order. It has to be a lawful order. I don't feel that was a lawful order.
2: It's yeah. ethics at that point too, Billy. It's ethics. If you hear little children screaming for their lives, and you're on the other side of that door, I'm sorry, I'm going in. But I think maybe there could have been, if there's an order coming from uh, a supervisor, a chief, or whoever it was, that to stand down. The only thing I would think of, and this wouldn't be for a period of time, a long period of time, is that maybe there's communication from the government inside, and they're, they're trying to negotiate – That's what I would think in maybe a couple of minutes of delay at the most. But if there's shots going off inside that room or you hear people from the other side, I mean, it's time. It's the go time. It's go time. I'm sorry. That's the only, and I'm sure that those offices, those 19 offices that were in that hallway, they're going to have to live with that. They got to swallow that. They got to stomach that. And they know that it, it, those, those minutes cost lives and it's a terrible thing. And, And the breakdown was just,
1: uh, this crazy. is
0: this is the uh, chief who had to explain what happened after they really got the truth out, and I just want to play a little bit of this. I think he did a great job. I can't even imagine having to explain what he had to explain. Police the consolidated independent school district is the incident And has
2: that person been released? It's his school.
0: He's the chief of police. Okay.
2: Has he been suspended?
0: Yeah, again, I'm not going to discuss this. But but you said the policies
2: policies were clear that they should have gone right in.
0: Again, you know, I'm not going
2: to get into (laughs) (laughs)
1: that.
4: So obviously we'd like to hear from the chief. I mean.
0: That's a real tough one, right? Yeah. I mean, here he is. He wasn't on the scene, and now he has to defend something that he obviously cannot defend. You know, Commissioner, I just want to mention one other thing, protocols and policies. On the NYPD, it clearly states in the patrol guide that the person in charge, and you mentioned it could be a police officer, but the person in charge, once the incident, more people get on the scene, is the highest-ranking member uniform member of the service from patrol services.
3: That's correct. It's always the highest ranking member. Right.
0: Right. So in a situation like this, he's from the school district police. So where are the protocols that would prevent that from ever occurring again? I don't want him in charge. You know, I want the guy from Uvalde police or a bigger police department that's more experienced. I don't want that guy in charge. Well, you you also saw that they
3: were talking about they were waiting for federal response. You know, they, they were waiting for assistance to come in. Small agencies don't have the resources that we have, but every agency, it doesn't matter if there's two cops or there's 50,000 cops, they should have the tools of both a breaching tool, Kevlar vest, Kevlar helmet, and, and, and the same order, like I said earlier, there needs to be some kind of national standard because these agencies in different parts of the country, they just train differently. They don't, you know, they'll pursue somebody on a side road for four hours we go four seconds and they're terminating the pursuit because we're not going to kill somebody. It's not worth it for property. But on the other side, they may, we, we go in and we're there to go take that threat out. They may not train that way. And, you know, again, it's looking at the training that goes on in that agency and, and many agencies around the country.
0: Commissioner, how much of this also do you think can be attributed to the whole defund the police movement, the beatings that the police took in the last two or three years, defund, no training, uh, cops stand back, be community police, off. don't be warriors, don't be crime fighters. How much of that have, could possibly be having cops second-guessing what their whole mission is? So, so I, I, I used this scenario
3: just today when I was explaining to someone about, you know, armed guards in front of a school. Most of your armed guards are going to be somebody that's on a second career, right? He's retired, did his 40 years, walking a footpost somewhere, and now he's standing in front of a school. An active shooter takes place. Do you think in his mind he's saying, "I'm I'm going in"? After forty years of working somewhere, on, I'm not going,
2: and and that's the problem.
3: That's that's yeah. one of the first problems. You know, is that who we're hiring as armed guards? Now you take your own cop. Forget the retired guy. Now, now you take an active guy who's doing a side work and he's working at a school and there's a shooter. He's like, "Hey, I go shoot and I miss and I hit some kid. They're gonna kill me. They're gonna put me in jail. They're gonna." you know, and now they want to, you know, when when you talk about qualified immunity and they want to try to take that away, these are the tiny things that make the cop second think and say, you know what, why am I doing this? Well, I give credit to the men and women of the NYPD, Suffolk County, Nassau County, every single day they're going out and doing the job, even though they know the risk. When you have DAs that say, you put your city councils that say, you put your knee on his back, on his diaphragm, you're getting arrested. (laughs) And I had two things that I had to do during the George Floyd uh, time. And when reforms came in, I said, one, we're not going into the city no more. You got to make an arrest. And he lives in the city. Call the NYPD, see if they want to grab him. And if you're going to go in and we have to go in, we're taking an army with us because I don't want no rolling around because you're going to get locked up. And, And then the second thing I had to take all my guys, because at the time out of plain clothes, right, I said, listen, let's just until things calm down. My guys immediately went back into what we call 511s, which is khakis and, and a golf shirt. And we're about to move Yeah, it. The
0: anti crime uniform, the green army jacket with the New York Yankee cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And, <laughs> and, and, and the army
0: perspective, the color of the day. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> you're talking 80s now, Bill. You're giving away. Yeah, well, that's what, what it 80s. was. Everyone
0: was like, why yeah. don't you just wear the anti crime uniform? You know? Yeah, yeah. And the best is when they wore their duty belt over their shorts. Yeah, yeah. some <laughs> guys do not want to mean. spend any extra money on anything right yeah i didn't make much money back then <laughs> yeah, that's that's true that's true but uh, you know uh commissioner they actually they appealed the diaphragm law it was reversed and now it was just reinstituted again yeah. so it's 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 horrendous it's just you know i, I was uh, there's a guy named mike Cadella who owns um a jujitsu academy in staten island it's called the Cadella academy and i, I want to have him on because I want to do a show on cops and jujitsu. Like how do you, with this diaphragm law, how can you neutralize someone without putting your knee on someone's back? It's almost impossible to get someone handcuffed that doesn't want to be handcuffed without putting your knee on his back.
3: It's, it's, it's how we train. It's control of that center of, of the body. Remember when the eighties, 80s- Right. When we were down below in 20th Street and you, you put somebody's hand on the wall underneath the part and you're holding them by the belt buckle, they go grab center. If he moves, push in on the, on the center. It's the same thing when you get to the ground, get on top of him, control him. First thing you do is control his arms, then the legs. But it's all part of it, putting that pressure onto that diaphragm. And you know what? It is meant to slow him down. It is make it to breathe harder. That's the idea of it. I'm trying to get him under control. It's a fight for our life. I give up. He gets my gun. More people die.
0: Right. And, you know, the thing is, is that once you get him cuffed, it's over. You get your damn knee off his back. You stand him up. Correct. And you get him into the car as quickly as you can. You get him off the off the scene. We were always taught that in New York because we got airmail, Right. Every New York City cop knows what knows what <laughs> airmail is, right?
3: I had the toilet dumped on my car in the Mossy projects, but that was a long time ago.
0: You know, a uh, commissioner, there was this lieutenant I knew years ago, and he never wanted to get involved in anything. And he got transferred to the 4-4. So he says to the cop driving, and he goes, take me to the area of the precinct that is nothing happens. He goes there. Someone threw an Evinrude outboard motor off the six-floor roof. And it came (laughs) right through the back window. Thank God none of them got hurt. But I was just like, isn't that funny? You're trying to avoid it. Someone throws an Evinrude outboard motor off the roof on you. They don't follow you.
2: Listen, I went through the police academy in 1982. And they taught us a maneuver with a nightstick where you put the nightstick against the guy's a carotid artery and then you took your hand and you tilted his head and you would put him to sleep. And unfortunately, if the guy turned his head, you would be crushing his throat. So obviously that went out the window. So there was a lot of different uh, techniques that they taught us throughout the years. And then they pulled back on some of them, but this diaphragm law. Now this is, this is really ridiculous. I mean, Bill and I have seen, a couple of videos in the last year or so where cops are fighting and they're almost like, you know, trying to dance with the guy instead of going in and trying to do the takedown and the guy gets away and, you know, jumps in a car and takes off and the cop is standing there looking like a fool. But unfortunately this is policing in uh, 2022 in New York. It's crazy. It was like a uh,
0: commissioner. Remember that old, EDP video they did where the cops surrounded the EDP and they all look like they were dancing and they had the, they had the, the big shields and the guys like got a bat hitting the cops and stuff. And they're all just dancing. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> you know, you go, you go
3: back to training like that. And then you go training on the street, which you, you learned over time when it, you know, because mental health is a lot to do with our active shooters. Right. But mental health in this country is just gotten out of control. It's the COVID it's the social media. It it's, it's, uh, you know, the bullying that goes on. And, and it causes a lot of these kids on the spectrum to fall off. And, and that's why we end up in a lot of these situations. But when you thought about it, the way they used to say to police, oh, you shouldn't handle mental mental health cases. You guys don't know how to handle it. We're the best at handling it. Because yes. you know what we do? We start playing the role play. And we stop playing around and joking with the person. You know, Anthony, every time you see Anthony on the corner, you're the one that can talk him down off of what he's about to do. I'm not saying we don't bring in our experts because we definitely need them, but it's not just that we we don't know. We live it every day. We we deal with it every single day, besides dealing with our cops that are that are half mental aids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, Commissioner, one of the things that I notice about you and I notice about Nassau County police is they, they have a great esprit de corps and they're really they they seem a lot more happier in their job and they have higher morale. New York City, they've been beaten down. I, I'm, I'm just. Re- I read all the stuff about cops. Cops are resigning every week, every month because they hate the job. You know, they're not allowed to do the job, and everyone is watching them. They got the uh, body worn video, and they got three thousand phones out there videotaping every single thing they do. And guys can't put up with that. They're just quitting the
3: job. Nah, see, out here in Nassau County, and it's it's no longer a money thing. You know, years ago it was like, I'm leaving for the money. Now what you're leaving for, county executive supports his police, legislators support their police, community support their police. You know, we had uh, 360 protests that came through here and we, we let them walk, let them take any street you want to take. It, it was a time for them to exercise their First Amendment. And, you know, look, some of it, we had it here. We, we had to listen to these messages. And at the end of it, we had no property damage and we had no violence. My cops got it. I said, just go with this right now. Just let them go. And you know, it was rough at times, but they worked, they worked their way through it. When you go to the city, you got a mayor at the Blasio did nothing for their cops, you right? um, you you had the community turning their backs on the cops. You had good leaders that were still trying to do the right thing. But sometimes, you know, you can say, Oh, this guy, Bill Cannon, he can't be our commissioner no more. He's horrible. He's got to go because he did listen. If it ain't Bill, then it's Phil. And if it ain't Phil, then it's Pat. Somebody until they get to him to say, yes, I'll do what you say, you you know, Mr. Mayor. And they they lost that, you know, and they never let the commissioners do their jobs. Um, Policing should be left in that silo to let, hey, do your job. If there's a problem, you call me. If there's good stuff, you call me and we'll all stand there together. But, you know, let's figure these things out. And we've lost that. But I also tell everybody that talks to me about going on to the NYPD and stuff, and they go, ah, oh, that's a horrible job. That's a lot of crap. It's it's still a great job. It's a, it's a it's probably one of the noblest services you can do, outside of our military, what we do day in and day out. I go, I was there at Ground Zero. I was there when the the blackout occurred. I was there when the riots in, in, in Crown Heights occurred. You know, we we it was it was a lot worse back then in, in the 80s when we all went on. But why did we yeah. do it? because we want it to be part of a difference, make a change. Not going to be that easy this time around. There's a lot of anti-policing, but sooner or later it comes back. because even the rich liberals want to make more money. And you can't run an economy when you got crime and people crapping on the sidewalks like they're doing in New York City. You can't. And yeah. you know, giving Chief Sewell, now I say Chief Sewell because she was my chief, Commissioner Sewell the opportunity to do her job is what they need. Just let her go.
0: Let her do her job. I think she can really do a great job, but it seems like the mayor's trying to be the mayor and the PC and yeah. he's not letting her that's take point. control and let her hold the reins of this uh, big aircraft carrier and let her put it in the right direction. I think she has the skills, and I think the uh, rank and file respect her, and I think they'll follow her, you know, and that's important because, look, we had great comm- when Louis Anamon, when he was chief of department, People would have followed that guy through burning embers, you know, through, they would right. have followed him through hell because he was going through the door first, you know, and that's the, he was a street cop that made it all the way up to chief of department. And you know, that's what you need. Yeah. And, and look cycles, everything goes around. It'll come
3: back. The NYPD will be, be that great. And they are still the greatest police department in the world, right? They have, they have the, the size, they have the tools, they have now the leadership and they've had it before. I mean, but and, and they've also now they just got to get the backing and the community is going to swing and the mayor's going to have to swing with the community because they're the people who vote.
0: Right, exactly. You know, I want to play a little bit of what Bill Bratton said about the response in Yuvalde, in because I think he's one of the best leaders we've had in a while.
4: As a seasoned veteran of many police departments, who's run many police departments, just your initial assessment of the approach, it appears, law enforcement took in Uvalde. We know now that at 11.40, the gunman entered the school. It was at 12.47 that the tactical team arrived and got in and finally was able to kill him. That's not to say, as we've said many times, there were not brave officers who confronted him initially, but were outgunned. But based on what you know, what's your assessment here? Well, a lot of what we're dealing with really, as you know, is speculation at this stage because law enforcement in Texas has been an embarrassment in terms of the information they've been providing, uh, the misinformation they've been provided. I teach this in terms of communications in times of crises. And you always start off with the information as preliminary, subject to change. The Information they've been putting out now two, three days after the event has been an embarrassment because there was so much misinformation. So we really don't know at this stage what happened in those first 12 minutes, that first hour. But what we do know is that there seems to have been a violation of the basic tenet of active shooters, which is that you move to the shooter. No matter what, you move to the shooter to save lives. And officers around the country, since Columbine now for 30 years, have trained to do that. We're going to need to find out in the days and weeks ahead, did this department train for it? Did they, in fact, do it? I'm now reading news stories about some individual officers who effectively did do that in that school. What's also missing here really in four days into this event is there is no schematic about this school. This is not one building, it is multiple buildings, multiple classrooms in multiple buildings. So they should be able to at this stage to basically explain what does this building look like? Where were officers? Where was the shooter? The confusion, everybody was killed in one classroom. We now find there may be as many as four classrooms this individual was roaming through. No, there's just so many unanswered questions, but at this stage of the game, they should be doing a much better job than they have been doing to try and explain what they do know. And it's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. So, I mean, he gave a pretty damn
0: good (laughs) assessment. It was pretty harsh.
2: It was a terrible mess.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, Commissioner, you brought up the fact before that you're doing some really innovative things in Nassau County. And that what thing he mentioned about having schematics of the schools, there's probably programs that you could have every school in Nassau County loaded onto a phone with the schematics so that your emergency service, when responding to an incident like this, they could pull it up on their phone, pull it up on their screen, and it would know exactly where the perpetrator is and they could move accordingly. So, So that's valuable in a
3: barricade, not in an active shooter. And I'll tell you why. 75% of all active shooters are over in two to three minutes. Done, right? Usually he's killed and then he's going to kill himself, Self-inflicted wound. So 75% over in two to three minutes. Response time in Nassau County to any emergency call. Not, a, not your car is in a property damage accident. But an emergency call is three to five minutes. So if I'm a shooter that's killing between two to three and I'm between three and five, I need to get there quicker. So the first thing you do is you slow down the shooter putting all the measures of, an, of a, um, an assessment that is done, a security assessment on your building, slowing down the door, locking doors, you know, where to hide in the place, you know, practicing, pushing the Rave app. And I'll explain that in a minute. But that slows him down. How do I get there faster? We gave every school a Rave app. It goes on their phone to seven people in the building or eight people that have it. As soon as they push that, that bypasses the 911 system. Everybody by law, everywhere in the country, you call 911 because we don't know what the call is. We have to take them in order. That's the cue. If you have a rave app, it bypasses the system. It goes directly to another terminal. It geofences it so I know exactly who's calling me, where they're calling me from, what part of the building they're calling me from, and I'm dispatching my police. If they can't talk, they can text me. If they can't text, just push the button. I got the rest, I'm coming. But now when I get there, and they say, he's in the gymnasium. If I've never walked that building before, I don't know where the gymnasium is. But every cop in Nassau County is mandated to visit a school a day. You stop five minutes out of your day, say hello, know who your point of contact is, know what their camera system may look like, and know where you're going to walk, outside of our Homeland Security visits. So I walk the school and I don't know, if they say cafeteria, I'm going down to the right. Seconds saves lives. Slow the shooter down, get the cops there faster and know the environment you're about to go into and where you're going to go. And that's how you save lives. If you start whipping out plans and cameras, even you know, the cameras, they say, oh, you should have uh, access to our cameras. And by the time I turn it on, if the Internet connects and the, you didn't change the password on me because with that many buildings, that happens every day, right? day. I'm not going to be able to keep up with that. You heard Bill Bratton say, "Go, go to the shooter, take the shooter out, and then we'll deal with the rest." So slow him down, control access, locking doors, cameras, ballards in front of the building. If it's a car, all of those things in place. Knowing where to hide, practice and drill like you do in the building. You know, now they're going around and they're selling this stuff where smoke's going to come out of the ceiling and phase out. Get that's
2: a bunch of crap. All of that yeah. is crap. It's- Commissioner, what what is that called again? An Evap system, you said. The, are, are, the, the smoke out of the ceiling? No, no, no. The thing that you said that all the Nassau County,
3: it's a rave app. Rave app. Yep, and it's just like any app on the phone. And we, when we visit the school, we pick the, the teachers who are going to have it and okay. where they work in the building.
2: How is this not throughout the country? This, this is something you, you made the greatest point that most shootings are going to take place in two to three minutes, seventy-five percent, and you have a system that right three, three to
0: five. Phil, you weren't listening.
2: No, no. no. He, right. he said the shooting's two to three minutes. That's the response correct. is three to five. So oh, we good. want to speed up the response. And that right there would would bypass 911. And the officer sees that. He's dropping what he's doing. He's getting to that school. And that might save lives. I mean, that's something that Democrats and Republicans should get together on. That could be implemented in days. I mean, that, that should be a national mandatory thing in every school. Now, real quick about the schools. Now, the, the school's in my area. Now, my wife works in a school. I'm not going to say where, but she works in a middle school and they have the doors, like you said, uh, Commissioner, they have a door that's, uh, a person will, will ring the buzzer. They'll see them on camera. They'll ask, they'll speak to them first. They come through one door and then they get buzzed into a second door. So that's something I think every school should have as well. Most of them do. My daughter's high school has it. The school, with my my wife works in middle school has it. But but this other thing I think is is probably something even better because it's going to get the there quicker every every layer we put
3: in there slows him down and that's what get get me there let me do my job get me there and and slow him down and i said before you came out i was talking to bill one of the problems we need in this country is a national standard to response everybody can't do their own well i'm gonna do it this way and we're gonna think about you know waiting till we get the old diamond way we don't even do the diamond formation anymore now it's first cop go but remember, the cop has got to have the tools. In every single police car in Nassau County, they have a Kevlar helmet they put on. They have a tack vest they put over their regular vest. They have a breaching tool. Because if we're telling them to lock the door, the door I want to go in is going to be locked. So how am I getting in? Well, the tool right. goes in, pops the door, and we're in. And then, we, and then we'll go with one or two or three cops whatever. ever there. We don't wait for a boss. We're gone. And we're in there training. And then the heavy guys will come later. Like the ESU, it's coming. But they're not out there as many as the police cars are. So police have got to be there. the first response. They got to get there quick. People say we should give a police officers assault rifles. I can do gun battle with anybody with any gun with my sidearm, right? If I got the tools and the protection with me, I take cover. Even if I have a shield with me. The training on a long gun is a lot more times. And you, you can't get everybody trained to the level of an ESU or a BSO. But when you have multiple people out there with multiple types of guns, that's a better way to handle that problem.
0: Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. That dapper gentleman, you see a picture of him on the screen. That's Nassau County Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder, who I'm honored to say was also an NYPD officer. That started out on the NYPD. The little flyer above, that was uh, Edmund is to the left, the guy with the perfect hair that gave us a picture that was 10 years old because he wanted to look much younger than all of us. And uh, he, he got stuck in Atlanta tonight. Uh, his flight didn't get out of there, but we'll have him on again. He's a great guy, and uh, we, we miss him tonight. Ed, if you're watching, listening, we miss having you on the show. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell if you want to support us. We have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels. And you see the folks with the green in the font, and they're part of our uh, YouTube channel members. And you can you can join it too. You know, Commissioner. One of the things, I, and I we're at like fifty minutes, and I don't like to go too much past an hour. We got to touch upon the Second Amendment, the dreaded Second Amendment, because. I believe today uh, Nadler put forth a bill. I didn't get to read it. Uh, Joe Murray, who's an attorney that we um, always have on our show, he sent it to me. I didn't get a chance to read it. But, I mean, in these situations, I I mean, I even get where it's like, oh, maybe they shouldn't sell AR-15s to kids that are 18 years old because, you know, if you respond and if you would have responded to Sandy Hook and saw 25-year-olds dead, I mean, that's a a picture – that's going to be in your mind for the rest of your life. You'll never forget it. As well as this 19 fourth graders and and two adults shot by this crazed uh, shooter. And of course, one side always blames the gun and they never want to blame the shooter. Your thoughts on the second amendment.
3: Listen, the second amendment, obviously when, when our founding fathers drew up the second amendment, we didn't have the guns that we have today. So I'm, I'm one of these guys and I, I'm a pro gun guy. And, and, I, I can live with a couple of changes, a couple of restrictions, you know, maybe a little longer on oversight before we issue the gun. But that being said, if you take the guns away from the good people, the only people with guns will be the bad people and and bad people do bad things. If you give them an opportunity, they'll use a knife, they'll use a gun, they'll use a bat. They're bad people. If, if the guns are not out there to people have the right to defend themselves, well, that's a problem. And, you know, I, I, This is we in the state of New York, they're making changes right now up in Albany before they close out for the session and they want to add in gun changes. They want to have, you know, stamping uh, the bullets now so we can track the bullets. Bad guys don't follow those rules. The good guys will follow the rules. The bad guys will take any bullets they can get and put it in the gun. It doesn't matter what stamps on it, you know, and to break into my house and steal my bullets and then use those bullets with that stamp on it. That only causes more problems with us, um, you know. I, I but I'm but I'm okay with better background. But if you're gonna tell me you want to have stricter background checks or longer background checks, then tell me I have access to mental health issues in the hospital. Tell me we can stop hiding behind HIPAA and protecting those with those cognitive disorders. And again, I I get it. They 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 have issues, but we protect it too much, and we don't get it out to us to let us know. Hey, this guy shouldn't be out here. Not only should he not have a gun. He shouldn't be out on the street, but we go too far sometimes. And again, that's a little give and take by both sides. I can live with some changes if those changes are going to be across the board. Don't just tell me it's all about guns. Take away the guns from the good people; the bad guys are the only one
0: with guns. You couldn't have uh, said it any better than that, Commissioner. You know, the thing is, is that, uh, in especially in New York City, they don't want to arrest people anymore. I, I, I mean, cops want to arrest people; they don't want to prosecute people. There's actually a guy. A, Test case that's been arrested five times this year for gun possession, mm-hmm. and he's back out on the street. How is that protecting people? You know, that you have to prosecute this whole decarceral philosophy is bullshit. It really is. It's absolute crap. And if they don't put people in jail that deserve to be in jail, they're not going to protect the populace.
3: Back in the 80s, I think they came out with, you know, was at a minimum of one to three if you're caught with a gun. Now, if there's no violence, right, and you just get caught with it, obviously you're not carrying the gun because you don't want to do violence. I'm not carrying the gun because I'm selling flowers, right? I'm carrying the gun because I'm a bad guy. I get caught with a gun. You're walking out of the door. Well, you, you go to arraignment in the morning. Then you're walking out. No bail. Judge has no option. He gets to walk. No violence. No pass. Done. Do it a second time during the week. You're doing the same process. He's walking out. You've taken discretion away from our judges. You've made the laws just black and white where there's no you know gray area that we can work with, depending on the individual. And again, I'm the first guy to support bail reform because rich kids shouldn't get out of jail over a poor kid. That's not what bail was meant for. But bail, what it was meant for is exactly the way what we should go back to is bad people need to stay incarcerated because they only want to do bad things. And if there's no penalty, you're going to keep doing the bad thing.
2: We can't live in a revolving door justice system and, and it be safe. It's just not practical. And instead of focusing on you know the second amendment, like Billy was saying, and Bill and I talked about this many times in the past few days. About this, how about enforcing the laws that are there? There's a guy walking around free right now that has five uh, five times arrested with a loaded gun in New York city and he's out. And that's just absurd. So what message are you sending to everyone else? That's going to do bad things. All these gang bangers. It's not a big deal. You could carry that. The minute they took away anti-crime, Everybody started carrying, and then now you have the bail reform. So you have all these components, and we're we're basically living in a lawless society. And and we can watch the news at noon or eleven o'clock, and we'll see the woman, a uh, sixteen-year-old kid, getting stabbed in the back by some random psycho, and all the rest of it, and shootings, and and you know uh, we're worried about legal gun owners and putting numbers on shell casings of bullets, like you said, commissioner, that someone can steal those and use them. And then it's going to be just a lot of confusion. No, let's, we have laws on the books. Let's enforce the laws that we have. And, and, you know, uh, there was a st- statistic over last weekend. now the shooting happened uh during last week on the weekend, there were 14 more, they call it, uh, uh, not an active shooter, uh, where, where more than four people are shot, uh, multiple people shot. And there was 14 of those. Chicago, there was like 48 shootings. I think nine people killed. And they're just not making the headlines. And, and you know, we have a problem throughout the country, not only in schools. It's, it's a lot of other places. And until we address everything... How could we just address, you know, uh, the Second Amendment? And, and it's really, it, it's not making a lot of sense what these politicians are doing. I mean, uh, Schumer knocked the bill the other day to, to have uh, throughout the country uh, an armed officer at every school. He knocked it before it even went up uh, for a vote. So, uh, you know, they got to meet, they got to come. Like Bill and I have said, they're all on, on opposite ends. There's got to be some kind of compromise in the middle. And again, I found out today that In Israel. I went for my 9 11 screening, and the doctor there, Dr. Udison, uh, has family in Israel. She told me that uh, that if you want to own a firearm in Israel, you have to go through uh, some type of a psychological interview to say that you're stable. So, again, those are things that could be uh, implemented. You know, there's a waiting period when you buy a handgun of a couple of days till they do the background check. So maybe we add in a few more days to it and we do some type of an evaluation. What's the matter with that? I don't think anybody in the NRA would have a problem with that. If you're a real sportsman and you're a law abiding citizen, what, what resistance would there be to something like that? But the, the problem is, is that, you know they want to take a little at a time, and they want to remove the guns. Look what's going on in Canada. Based on the shooting, no more handguns in Canada. Nobody's allowed to own a handgun, and if you own a handgun, they're going to confiscate it from you. So again, we're 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 being led around by Marxists and, and people that just want to, uh, you know, uh, control. It's all about control in these uh, they, political. They meetings. want to
3: take the guns away. You know, it'll be a civil war in this country because people absolutely who have the right under that Second Amendment to defend themselves. And, and that, and that that's, an, that's an important right. But on the other side, like you said, you got to find the middle of the road. Give in a little bit. Let's work together. But they'll never because I'm over here and he's over yep. here and we're not coming together. That's not what politics was was based on. You know, we have different beliefs, but you put them in a room and you come to a compromise. There's no compromise right now because we're reactive in society. We're never proactive. We're always like, oh, we got to do something out. Take the guns away. No. That's not the answer, and that's not going to happen either. And the Democrats know that they can change all the rules, the rules they want, they're not going to take guns away from the people in this country. It's not going to happen.
0: No, it isn't. Most, Most of, of the go ahead, quick, is- uh, Phil, let's go to a quick commercial break here. Oh.
2: Looking for a vacation oasis? The comfort in Oceanside in sunny Deerfield Beach, Florida has you covered. Take a dip in the outdoor heated pool with a water slide for the kids. Have a cocktail poolside or relax in the Oasis Courtyard Lounge. Just a short walk to the best restaurants in the Deerfield Beach International Fishing Pier. Soak up the sun, swim in the pristine blue ocean, or stroll along the famous beach. Maybe enjoy a sunset from a beachside restaurant. Guests enjoy a complimentary breakfast and a fresh brewed coffee 24-7. If you mention police off the cuff at booking, you'll receive a 20% discount. That's right, a 20% discount. So book your your stay today by calling 954-428-0650.
0: You know, uh, Commissioner, I just want to play a little bit of this. And this is of the chief from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Police Chief Wendell Franklin. And it's just, I think, shows the difference between a super, super professional presentation uh, and also an unbelievable response that the Tulsa police did to that shooter at the hospital there. Uh, let me just play a little bit of this.
1: In Yale yesterday. This was not done... Um, This was a coordinated effort. It was not done haphazardly. I also have to thank the dispatchers and call takers at our 911 center that reacted as they were trained. Law enforcement across the nation is dealing with increased violence among people. This is yet another act of violence upon an American city. I will say that as a Tulsa police officer, we train, we train and we train and we train for instances such as this. And I'm overwhelmed and proud of the men and women, all those that responded yesterday. Now I want to take some time and go over the timeline with you as we know it today.
2: Mike,
0: I just wanted to show that how Commissioner, he said basically exactly what you said. You know, we train, we train, and we train. This way, like we said earlier on in the broadcast, it's muscle memory. You don't have to think about it. You're going to do it because you're trained to do it, and you're going to do what's right because you're trained to do it. And uh, I think that's the big difference between a lot of departments. And, again, I don't mean to beat down the department in – in Texas and Evaldi. But, you know, a lot of mistakes were made and we can learn a lot from those mistakes that were made and to make sure that they never happen again.
3: Our biggest mistake is that we don't look back in history and learn from these things. Whatever happened there, make it better going forward. Learn from, we've already, in our department, we're already starting to break down things between Buffalo and there, what was done, how we handle it. We met today and I just got off the phone an hour ago about something in my order that the guy said, hey, this has got to change. We're missing something. Let it go. Let's go inspect and get it done. And he's going to make the changes on it tonight to make sure that our members get the right information. And I sent an email out to all my schools two days ago. And I told them exactly what we do and what we have. I don't, You know, you don't give the secrets because you're not educating the bad guy, but let them know for a comfort of the perception. But we all know if there's a shooter coming, we're not stopping them until we get there. So... If you put the things in place you're in a better position for safety than if you don't put the things in place and if you don't practice for the worst you know and hope for the best you're going to have the worst and you're not going to be able to handle it so i i think um like i said i don't like the monday morning quarterback but but we have to take what they've done and learn from it and make it better
0: absolutely
2: Phil, final words. (laughs) Final words. Commissioner Ryder, thank you so much. You brought out some really great points. It sounds like you're being very proactive instead of reactive. I thought that was a great point. Uh, The system that you have in place to get the offices there quicker. that's That should be a national uh, uh, a system across the whole country. Every school should have that. I like the idea of you picking the teachers that uh, you think will be the ones that will be most capable and for different reasons. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, one point about the politics, I think a, a lot of the politicians are talking about uh, guns. I mean, Joe Biden was talking about a nine millimeter. Meanwhile, it's the universal gun that's carried by most law enforcement officers. I don't think they really even know which side of the barrel the gun comes, uh, the bullet comes out of the gun. They need to be, uh, you know, before they're going to talk and and make laws. They need to be educated on it. Um, I think that other point about being proactive that's very, very, very important instead of reactive. And the reactiveness is uh, sometimes it just paints a, a wide brush on on a situation. And uh, Second Amendment is I'm for it 100. percent I'm glad you are too. Thanks again for coming on, Commissioner. My
3: pleasure.
0: Commissioner, again, you're a superb guest. I only wish Eddie Hartnett could have been here. (laughs) with us. Not that you didn't do a great job without him, but uh, I'm sure he's watching, so I just got to tease Eddie a little bit. But uh, you have some really innovative programs in Nassau County, and uh, it would be great if they could be uh, followed on a national level. Maybe you should go and testify in front of Congress one day because I think these programs are very innovative and they're going to save lives.
3: You know, that's, that's what we're in the business for. That's what we all signed up, protect and serve, right? not to fight about certain things that you like. Or he, guys, we got to protect these kids. And Absolutely. we in Nassau County are doing everything we can to do that.
0: You're doing a great job. Folks in the chat, folks, fans of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, thank you so much for listening tonight. This has been myself and Phil Grimaldi and Nassau County Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder. Thank you so much, Pat.
3: My pleasure, guys. Have a great night. Stay you
0: safe, everyone.
3: Thank you. So
1: just ain't enough